Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. You don't see this. We're just getting set up here for a second. All right. Good to have you this morning. Joe, I I couldn't, uh, you know, in honor of um, Palm Sunday, I couldn't get Joe to give me a piggyback ride in, but... uh, (laughs) Just wasn't working for us this morning, so I don't know why. But here we are, right? Palm Sunday. A lot of us know the story, we're familiar with it, but we sometimes miss the nuance of what's going on in the Palm Sunday story as Jesus enters into Jerusalem. But we've all had times when we could, when we have felt what the gospel writers are intending for us to feel. Uh, think about a time in your life when you've maybe had a fight with somebody. And, uh, or you, you kind of knew the fight was coming. It wasn't quite there. Maybe it's uh, the person you're married to. Um, you know, Heidi and I are strong people. We're not wallflowers between the two of us. And I remember our premarital counselor talking with us. And she said, you guys are really strong. Your fights are going to be doozies. But anybody <laughs> comes against you, I wouldn't want to be them. And uh, <laughs> she, was, she was not wrong, you know, in this. And uh, so, you know, there's these moments where you kind of, you feel it's coming and you say the thing and, and, and then she says the thing and you know that if you say the thing back, that the gloves are off and on the floor and we're going to go, right? And, and so you got this moment where you're trying to decide, mm-hmm. is this go time or is, is we going to back off here a little bit and then far too often uh, my response is like, it's go time, let's go. And, and so you kind of, like, you get those moments where the, the fight is coming, the conflict is building, and you, you know where you cross the threshold, where it's, there's no going back to this. This is actually what's happening on Palm Sunday. This, this is what's happening in Jesus's triumphal entry. Jesus is coming in. And this is not so much a celebration of Jesus's kingly victory, as much as it is an increasingly hot confrontation of the idols, the powers and principalities that work in empire and the religious leaders of his day. When we see Jesus coming into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, this is what's happening. The temperature is being turned up. And so as we read the story, let's, let's pay attention to what's going on here. Pay attention to, to Jesus. Notice his posture. Don't assume. Don't assume. <laughs> but notice his posture and his intention. Notice how he's responding during this parade. Notice the disciples, the ones who are closest around him and their expectations. Pay attention to those things. Notice the Pharisees. Notice the seething mm-hmm. of the Pharisees. Mm. The seething anger of the Pharisees. Pay attention to the crowd. Pay attention to the crowd. Notice the the distance, right? Things seem happier at a distance. Notice the the hope. We hear that, we see that. Notice the naivete of the crowd, right? So as we look at the story, let's pay attention to these things. And Joe and I are going to talk together uh, about what we're seeing here and what God is doing and what he is shaping, because it's, it's not just what he did then, it's, it's what he continues to do 
today. And, and what we'll notice in this story is that Jesus rescues us, but he does it by confronting the idols within us. So, Joe, why don't you read for us? Yeah, sure. Or at least get the reading going. Yeah. Friends, would you join me in Luke 19, starting in verse 28? After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Mm, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> that, is, that is packed uh, with imagery. And so what we want to do for a few minutes here is we want to take a look at what is this story doing for us? It's, it's wanting us, it's drawing us in, and it's wanting us to pay attention to, to some of these things that, that it's drawing out here. One of these big pieces is it's, it's talking about the, the kingliness of Jesus. And, uh, you know, like it had been whispered that he might be the, the king of the Jews, would yep. be one of the phrases that they use. Uh, the son of David mm -hmm. would be one of those phrases. These are all kingly images yeah. that scripture gives us. And even the notion of coming in on the donkey, there was something very precise that was taking place <laughs> right, there, right, right, Joe? Yep. And, um, and then the, laying the palm branches, like mm -hmm. they didn't just do that for anybody. Nope. Not everybody just got branches, didn't branches just get, on the road. Yeah, that's right. Cloaks yeah. on the road. Like that was for kings. Yeah. And one of these big images is around this son of David. Mark, the gospel of Mark, uh, really mm -hmm. references that. Yeah. Uh, Hosanna to the son of David, the one who comes with the kingdom of David at, at yeah. hand, is really overt about that. Luke doesn't use the language of son of David, but he's got these images all over it. And, and I love those, the, like the reminder of this thing. It goes back, and, and you're going to want to check this out for yourself. But back in uh, 2 Samuel, God makes a promise to King David that he would always have a descendant on the throne, that the throne would last forever. Right. And that's a, as good of a promise for a king as you can get. <laughs> and so, uh, and then he kind of wondered, who would that be? And then in, the, in 1 Kings, right at the beginning there, we get the story about one of David's sons. Absalom sets himself up as king, but mm -hmm. it was God's intent for Solomon to be king. And so how does Solomon... Uh, express his kingliness, David's mm -hmm. plan was that he would actually ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. On a donkey, yeah. Right? And that the crowds would praise him as the king, mm -hmm. and that he would go to the throne and set himself up as king. And that's exactly what happened. And so this whole imagery wasn't something where Jesus was like, ah, I should ride a donkey today. <laughs> this seems like a good thing to do. It's this language that's tied him into the promises that's of right. God yeah. to deliver a king to the people. Right? And so that's one of the places we see, um, yeah. you know, we see this in Zechariah. Mm -hmm. You want to read that for us? Yeah, sure. So the, the prophet Zechariah, this is sometime before Christ uh, was, was ever born, 
uh, in chapter 9 of Zechariah. I'm going to read 9, 10, and 11 for us of chapter 9. Uh, he says this. He says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free you prisoners from the waterless pit. Yeah, that's... Like, there's a lot happening pretty here. Pretty phenomenal. Like, what are the things that are drawing out there in that Zechariah passage? Yeah, yeah. So, so kind of over and over and over again, the, the prophets are looking forward, kind of up on tiptoes, looking over the ledge, going, when is Messiah going to arrive? And so you highlighted that for us really well in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God gives this promise to David. And, and that's really linking us all the way back in the Old Testament. Um, and so if we kind of start there and work our way backwards, you know, so, so God makes this promise to David that it's going to be through him that his offspring is going to come and rule over Israel and all the nations. And so this is what the prophets are looking towards. Uh, but that actually connects us back to Abraham all the way in Genesis chapter 12. So if you remember from that, or if that's not, uh, if that is new to you, uh, kind of jot down Genesis chapter 12 and uh, check that out on your own. And, and so Genesis 1 through 11, God creates everything. It is beautiful. It is good. Genesis 1 and 2, he invites humanity, kind of the pinnacle of his creation, to join him in ruling and reigning. So this language becomes familiar to us, ruling and reigning with him and fellowshipping with him. Uh, and so taking Eden and extending it into the world. And then Genesis 3 hits. It all goes down from there. <laughs> Adam and Eve take and they eat of the tree of knowing good and evil. Uh, therefore exercising their own autonomy. Wanting to be their own kings yep. apart from following God. And so God hands them over. He says, I'm, I'm actually extending justice and mercy to you by not taking your life in this moment. But exiling you. And now I'm going to set this rescue plan into motion. Which in Genesis 3.15, as God is cursing the serpent, uh, he tells the serpent that there's going to be a seed or an offspring of the woman who one day would come and would crush the head of the serpent. And so Genesis 3.15 becomes this promise that you can trace and we can trace all throughout the Old Testament. And so God just keeps reaffirming this, right? Uh, So he then calls Abraham in chapter 12. Abraham, it's going to be through you that you're going to be the father of, of many, many people. In fact, through, the, through you and your offspring, I'm actually going to bless the entire world. And so God just keeps this promise. And then he's got 12 sons. They end up in the land of Egypt. And God just continues to uphold this promise as we were singing about. God upholds his promises. And so that's no different. When we get to David, God's reaffirming that. And he's right. just reminding his people, hey, I've not given up on that promise. I've reaffirmed that. Um, And so Zechariah, among the other prophets, is looking forward to that day when Messiah, that means anointed one, when Messiah would come and he would rescue Israel uh, from the oppressive empire of that day. And uh, by extension, he would rescue the whole world. And so that's what this passage is pointing us to. And so when, when the crowds are chanting this about Jesus, like this is all in the background of what it is that they're chanting, what it is that they're saying, and what it is that they're yearning and longing to have happen. They're longing for that rescue. Yes. That notion that when Messiah is here, we will be rescued. Yes. That he will end all wars. Yeah, right. Right? Yep. And and that his rule will extend 
to all nations. To all nations, and he'll bring peace. That's right. To all nations, it, it's it's he will bring the ultimate exodus moment. That's right. Through his victory. That's right. Yeah. And so in this passage, they're not just referencing uh, Zechariah; they're also referencing Psalm one eight. And and so as as they proclaim these words, as these things are mentioned in Scripture, it's not just that one phrase that they're doing. That's right. That they're bringing. It's like like they're singing the first line, but the whole song is coming yeah, to mind right. in what they're doing. Exactly. And so we look in Psalm uh, one eighteen, and we're not going to read the whole thing. And again, this is a great thing for you to go back to and to uh, read for yourself. And you you see the things that are being harvested in Psalm one eighteen. But look at. Um, Verse uh, one, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. We see that theme emerging here. Uh, Go to uh, five, six, and seven. When hard pressed, I cried to the Lord. He brought me into a spacious place. The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I look in triumph on my enemies. Go up to 14. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. Sh- with uh, shouts of joy and victory, right? We're seeing that right here as Jesus is coming in Jerusalem. Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. The Lord's right hand has done mighty things. The Lord's right hand is lifted high. The Lord's mm-hmm. right hand has done mighty things. I will not die but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. Are you seeing these themes emerging here over and over? The stone the builders rejected. A lot of us are familiar with this verse. The stone the builders rejected, right, pushed away, has now become the cornerstone. The one that holds the whole thing together. This building language is important. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. Mm -hmm. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Mm. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And so we're seeing the, the nature of this victory woven into this and the celebration that he is drawing others into this victory. And yeah. it's, a, it, it's different than what a lot of people anticipated as Jesus was coming in, but this is, this is a, a moment of victory in what Jesus is doing. And, and, and it's no accident that he's doing this as a part of this Passover celebration. That's really important. It is. It, it's crucial. Talk a little bit about that and, and what's going on here with the Passover and how Jesus coming yeah. in is a part of that. Yeah. So, so friends, this is really, really important. So um, we, we celebrate today on this side of the cross. Like This is Palm Sunday. So this is one week before Easter. This is one week before his resurrection. Uh, so this timing of when he's entering Jerusalem is really, really important and very purposeful. So he is entering 
Jerusalem on the day when all of the kind of the pilgrims from larger, the larger area of Israel are all congregating down to Jerusalem as they would do for uh, this particular uh, festival called Passover and a few others where they would leave their homes and they'd come down to Jerusalem and they would be there this week. And so he is purposefully coming on this day. Uh, so this is the day that all the pilgrims are entering into the town and this is actually the day, believe it or not, that the shepherds from the nearby town of Bethlehem would be driving their sheep into the city through the gates. Because it required a lot Why? of sheep. Yeah, exactly. Right, for Passover, but, it required a lot of exactly. sheep. Exactly, yeah, yeah. And they yeah. had to be like the worst of the sheep, right? Like this was how they get rid of the bad sheep. Oh, no. No. No way. What kind of sheep would be driven <laughs> in? The sheep that are being driven in are the spotless, That's the, right. the blameless, the, the perfect sheep. That's right. Um, because these are to be sacrificed to God, so they're to be a pleasing offering. So they want to give him the best of the best. This is what actually uh, Torah, or what we call the law, de- demanded. That's right. That we're giving God the best. Um, and so all of these, like we're talking thousands of sheep, would have been driven in this day, right? And so Jesus is purposeful here. Like, this is the day that he rides in on the donkey. And so what would happen is the high priest would actually be kind of at the gate. So, so gate, like, the, what, is, what does that even mean? Like, gate is actually the, the entranceway into the city. So this is really important language in the Bible when it talks about gates, <laughs> entranceway to the city. Uh, and the high priest would kind of be up on that gate, and he'd be looking down, and he'd be inspecting all of the lambs that would be driven in by the shepherds, and he would pick one that would be set aside for later in the week, that would be offered for the Passover, for the, for the sin of atonement, mm-hmm. to cover the sin of all of the nation of Israel, the once a year atonement sacrifice. So uh, there's so much happening here. So Jesus is actually like, watch this, Jesus is actually presenting himself as a Passover lamb option to the high priest. That's what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable, it's, isn't it? Like John the Baptist says, this is the Lamb of God, right? right. So, it, so we're connecting the dots here. That's right. Jesus is king, That's right. but he's going to be enthroned as king by, by being a lamb, by being a sacrifice. Well, and the prophets had been teasing that out. We yeah. see it in Zechariah. We see this in the Psalms. We see this in other prophets, yeah. uh, particularly Isaiah, where, where oh, it's talking yeah. about his, his kingdom will come about through his sacrifice, through his suffering. That's right. Now, we don't like that in a moment. We like the parade. Oh, yeah, no. Right? Like, we prefer the parade. Let's do this part. But, but we often miss how this is going to be coming about. And one of the things that's happening here, as we're reading this passage, um, the volume is being turned up. All right, and, and this is what should be happening for us, not just a, oh, tra-la-la type of parade. Who doesn't like a parade? We all think about our parades, and those are fun. We parades throw candy, there's clowns, and there's driving around in circles. That is exciting. All those kinds of things. That's not what's happening here. The, the, the gospel writers, as they're recounting this entire situation, are turning up the volume. They're wanting to make sure the people in the back are hearing. And, and the, <laughs> what this whole thing is shouting, it is shouting. Yeah. King, victory, rescue, peace for all nations through sacrificial love. Mm. It is shouting that for anybody who is paying attention. All right? But it's part of this whole thing that's building there is this confrontation that's building. Right? I want to read this, this mm. next part in Luke chapter 19. So go back to Luke chapter 19. We read up through verse uh, th- uh, 38. We're going to pick up in verse 39. And we're going to read a little bit further of what's happening. All right. Mm. So, so listen, beginning of verse 39. Now some of the Pharisees in the crowd, right? This whole thing's happening. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, 
teacher, rebuke your disciples. Mm. I tell you, replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. There's a ton packed up even in that <laughs> little thing there. Brings us, ties us right back into creation. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, listen to this. Remember I said we needed to notice some things and not make assumptions. Mm. Notice this. He wept over it. As Jesus approached Jerusalem, he wept over it. He said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Hmm. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. They could not find a way to do it because all the people hung on his words. Do you see it? It's being turned up, isn't it? It's demanding that we pay attention to what's happening here. And the crux of what's happening is this confrontation. And so we find as Jesus goes into Jerusalem, he makes his way to the temple. One of the, the gospels, if we were like read Mark's account of this, he, he went to the temple, looked around, and then he went out to come back another the next day. Uh, Luke just records him going into the temple because this temple confrontation is crucial for us. And the temple is at the heart of what's going on here. So uh, give us a little bit of context. Temple. What, yeah. what should we be paying attention to when we talk about the temple? Yeah, yeah. Because like, let's just be real. Like, it's 2023. We're modern Westerners. What, what does temple really even mean? It's, yeah, it doesn't mean a whole lot, honestly, yeah. at least to me. Maybe it does to, to you all. Um, so so kind of in the, in the biblical story, temples are really, really important. So if we go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, and, and again, this is kind of where modern Westerners, we don't really pick up on this, but if we're going to honor the Bible and read it in its own context, it's important. So when, when God creates everything, uh, this is actually God showing us that all of creation is his temple in which he's going to reside like that's actually what he's doing there when he creates. And so out of his love, he creates and he invites us as humans to rule and reign with him and fellowship and walk with him all of our days. Like that's what's happening here. So that's temple language even well, from the even beginning. In that, in that beginning, like day seven, yes. God rested exactly. is language we use. But that word means to settle. Settle in. He settles he in. Set, right? exactly. So he creates and then he settles in. That's right. And so what we see is God is revealing himself. This is what it looks like for God to settle into his creation. Exactly. To create space to be with yep. heaven and earth coming together. And so, and so because he refuses, God refuses to give up on his project, where, which is humans ruling and reigning, fellowshipping and walking with him, That's right. taking Eden and extending it even after Adam and Eve take of the fruit and eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He refuses to give up on that. So as he's pursuing them, uh, then we get to uh, the nation of Israel is, is rescued from Egypt and brought out. And then they've got this little mobile temple called a tabernacle. Yep. Uh, and then later, as they settle in to the land, the promised land, uh, they then construct the temple. 
And so just, you can read about this in your own time. The imagery that we find in the tabernacle and in the temple is full of Eden images. So there's cherubim, there's angels, there's pomegranate, pomegranates, there's trees, um, and all of this is Eden imagery. And so this is God saying, I'm inviting you in. I've not given up. I'm inviting you in. And so when we get here to this passage, um, all, again, all of that's in the background of what's happening here. And so the temple becomes the place where God is inviting his people in and saying, this is the hot spot of my presence. Although the caveat is they also knew it wasn't limited to just this little building because Solomon in his prayer, when he's coronated king, says, God, we know that the whole creation is your temple. That's right. <laughs> and yet we've built this temple because this is what you, what you wanted. And, and so it's, it's the symbol that shows that you are with us in our midst and that you're in the center of all that we do. And so all of that's happening right here in this passage. That's right. And Jesus has been, had been teasing this oh, out. Oh boy, he's been, he's been ticking a lot of people off. Right, because he talks about temple and he'll say things like, um, destroy the temple and I'll rebuild it again in three days. <laughs> like that's ridiculous. And, and that makes them angry yeah. when he says that. Yeah. And what he, of course, he's talking about himself. We, we get to better understand that he's talking about himself. So we go back to, to David. David so badly wanted to build the temple for the Lord. And God said, no, your son, your descendant, will be the one that builds the temple. And of course, for in Israel's history, it was Solomon who built a spectacular, beautiful temple mm -hmm. that mirrored the, the creation like you were just talking about. Yeah. But it was David's son, David's descendant, that would actually make the temple come into being. That's right. Now we go generations later. <laughs> it is the descendant of David coming into Jerusalem, going to the temple, and he's yes. using the language, my house yeah. will be a house of prayer. So he's taking that whole thing onto himself. It's That's the descendant right. of David that is bringing about the space where heaven and earth comes together, where God resides with his creation, That's right. where God is once again with his people. And Jesus is like really overtly saying, I am the new temple. That's right. right. And if, and if we admit, like John 1.14, you can jot that down, read that on your own time, talks about uh, Jesus taking on flesh and dwelling among us. So that word dwelling among us is actually, in the original language, he tabernacled among us. It's used, so, even using that so language. So like, he's making it really overt. Yeah, he's yeah. making it, Jesus is the place where heaven and earth overlap. And so Jesus is claiming temple language of himself. That's right. And by doing what he's doing here, he's claiming authority over the temple. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And it's really making people mad. Yeah, it is. And, and it's doing something in him as yeah. well. So let's, let's make sure we pay attention to what is going on with Jesus. Like the parade is for him. They're shouting Hosanna for right. him. Like he is the king. He is yeah. the savior. Like all these kinds of things. You would think Jesus would be riding into Jerusalem going. <laughs> That's right. Who's bad to the bone? I'm bad to the bone, right? So we, we make assumptions about Jesus's posture, his disposition. But Luke tells us here. Um, what, yeah. what is he telling us uh, in these verses here? Look at uh, 41, for, uh, 42. As he, Jesus, approached Jerusalem, he saw the city mm. and he wept over it. Hmm. The parades for him, he wept over it. Don't miss this. This is significant. What did he weep over? He says, if even you, hear the ache in his voice. If you, even you, Jerusalem, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. You have been clamoring for, striving for, 
grabbing onto everything that you imagined would give you peace. But if you only knew this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. Like Jesus is broken in his compassion in his love. So even as he's turning up the heat on this confrontation, it is born out of his love, his everlasting, his abiding, his beautiful, good love and compassion. And he is broken because these very people who should have been the first to see him, that he is the source of their peace, have rejected him. The stone the builders rejected is becoming the cornerstone of temple where God resides with his people. Notice Jesus' disposition. And then as he comes in, he goes into the temple. He goes into the temple courts and he turns over, turns over the tables. Like these are these, uh, this is one of the stories that we'll often use to justify our own anger. Right? So we kind of have this message behind us that we shouldn't be angry, but Jesus overturned the tables, and, and so we categorize this righteous anger. And there is a righteous anger that we see in Jesus as he's doing it. But listen yeah. again to the words as he's doing this. He says, it is written, right? So he's going back into the prophets. My house, putting it on himself, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Now, oftentimes when we read this passage, we think, well, this is why we don't sell Girl Scout cookies in the lobby at church. Oh. Right? That's I, kind of what I we like think. This is, right, but, but buy them on the sidewalk, not in the floor. Like, this is what we'll do. And some of us have grown up in traditions that we're really even rigid about that. Like, we don't sell the pizzas. We don't, you know, fundraise for our kids or anything like that because God's house is a house of prayer, not a den of robbers. And so we've right. looked at it like it's the economics that's going on there. Mm-hmm. But that's really not what's happening here. Like, bring us in a little bit to some of the stuff There's that so much here. he's talking about. <laughs> There's so much here. Um, so, so, yeah, so economics in and of themselves are neutral. Right? Like, yeah. culture in and of itself is neutral. Yeah. It's what we as human beings do yeah. that, that brings a morality and ethics to the table, right? And so he's quoting here from Isaiah, my house will be a house of prayer. Uh, just go read that on your own time. For the nations is what he's talking about there, all the nations coming to, to him. Um, and then you've made it a den of robbers. He's quoting uh, Jeremiah. And so that word for, for robber, um, and this was new as of prepping for this message this week. So yeah, this is, we're learning stuff. Like I'm still learning, so I'm going to try to articulate what I'm trying to learn. Um, so this word robbers uh, is actually, you, you could translate this revolutionaries. We were reading one commentary oh, together, man. and he's a good English guy, so he calls them brigands. <laughs> the brigands. The brigands. Like, who uses the and word brigands? And you were brigands? like, do you want to use the word brigand? I'm like, what does that even mean? We kind of need to put it out there at least a little bit. Brigand. Like, you have made it a, a den of brigands. <laughs> How cool is that? There's there you a word. go. You, you can use that one on Monday. Word of the day, brigand. Like, I can't work here. This is a den of brigands. <laughs> Nobody will know what you mean, but you'll feel very important doing it. Right? It's a revolutionary. Sorry, a no, that's okay. So brigands, a revolutionary. But yeah, there's revolutionaries. And this, and this is important because the, the nuance behind this word, and this is actually the same word that's used of Barabbas. Mm. He's a robber. He's a brigand. He's a revolutionary. Um, and so in Jesus' day, it was rife with Israel kind of reflecting in a multiplicity of ways, longing for God to save them. And one of those ways was actually through the sword. One of yeah. those ways was through violence 
uh, and bloody revolution. And just 200 years before Jesus steps on the scene, we have this guy named Judas Maccabeus. Uh, and it's through the sword and violence that he actually leads a group of Israelites to overthrow the empire of their day, who was oppressing Israel. And he was actually celebrated for it. This is actually where we get Hanukkah from. Um, and so, so all of this is in the background, again, of what's happening here in this passage. And, and it's really, really important because Jesus is critiquing the human way of exercising power. That, that's right. That's, that's right. really important. And because, again, this is, this is forefront of their mind. So the Judas Maccabee yep. was just two, that, that revolution was just 200 like, years prior to Our this. country's older than 200 years. That's right. And so we think about how the American Revolution shapes our psyche as a people. And we're not that old. It still lives in our bones. <laughs> yeah. As Americans, right? So this is how close that is to us. This was an even closer revolution yeah. to those people. And so they're, they're tasting it. They're feeling right. it. It's amplifying and he, all that's going on. And he's, he's critiquing not so much the revolution. That's right. Because he actually participated in Hanukkah. That's for a whole other side story. But, but it's a den of robbers. He's critiquing the religious establishment of the day that was using its position that was intended by God, temple was intended to actually be a light to the nations, that as Israel followed God, the nations would come to know God because of Israel's goodness, because of God's goodness, and they're using it to leverage their own power to protect their position of authority and the way that they were determining how to lead things, and then by extension, their nationalistic politic was actually used to condemn the nations rather than bring the nations to salvation, which was God's plan from the beginning. That's exactly right. Just to, Ooh, like, so like, to doubling down on what you're saying, I'm going to read from the commentator that, that we were Hello. learning from. Part of Jesus' charge against his fellow Jews was that Israel as a whole had used its vocation, right, its calling, its vocation, to be the light of the world as an excuse for a hard, narrow, nationalistic piety and politics in which the rest of the world was to be not enlightened, but condemned. They were being kept out of the presence of God. They were That's supposed right. to be the beacon of the presence of God. Bringing so they had, people in. They had failed yeah. at their vocational calling by God to live up to the promise of temple, yeah. heaven and earth together, yeah. drawing all nations to themselves. To rule and reign with God. And so Jesus was, was confronting this. Yeah, big time. In unavoidable terms. Right. Unavoidable. Which is why they want to kill him. That's right. So like... Throughout Jesus' three years of ministry, it might have been that this conflict was definitely simmering, right? We read about those times where, you know, he made a comment even in his own hometown and they took him to a cliff. They wanted oh. to throw him off and he walks through the crowd. And what does the gospel writer tell us? Because his time had not yet come. Yep. There were times where we, we get the, the Jewish leaders were saying, um, we want to kill him, but the people love him and we're not sure how to go about doing it. And so the, the temperature is just being turned up. And Jesus is doing it on purpose. He's not walking into this with subtlety. He's not looking to nuance things. For Jesus, coming into Jerusalem, what he is saying is, the time is now. And judgment is coming to Israel and it is unavoidable. This is why he's weeping. His compassion. Oh, Jerusalem, if only you had seen what would bring you peace. But instead, you hold on to. You hold on to this vision of accomplishing your dreams through violence. Mm -hmm. 
Instead of being a light to the nations, you have condemned the nations. Oh, Israel, if only you had seen what would bring you peace. Hmm. And as Jesus turns up the temperature, what was merely a simmer is now boiling over. It is boiling over. This is a point from which there is no return. The sides have been set. And we see that these religious leaders, these Pharisees, are seething in their anger. And they have determined to say, he will die. He will die. Jesus forced confrontation with the powers and principalities, right? There are powers and principalities that are looking to exercise authority over all of creation. These powers and principalities are at work animating the power of empire, the power of religion. Think about this. As Jesus came into Jerusalem, they could have chosen to bow down and worship him. Mm-hmm. They could have chosen That's the invitation. to worship him. Yeah. That's his continual invitation. To bow down and worship him. To see him for who he is, the son of God. The promised Messiah. Mm. They could have worshipped him. But instead, what did they do? They killed him. Yeah. It was an opportunity because he's bringing the idolatry collectively and individually to the surface. That's right. And so it's an invitation to lay down the idol. Acknowledge that, that the, the idols that you have, that you're protecting, they're not giving you the thing that you want. They're not giving you, in this case, he's highlighting peace, yeah. salvation. Lay them down. And, and for some, they lay them down. But for most, because the crowd one, less than one week from this passage is, is chanting, crucify him. That's right. Instead, it's a, no, I, I like my idols. I'm going to keep them close. That's right. And anybody who threatens that. Right. Because idols are, like, there certainly are images of idols, right? Gold statues and. Sure, but they represent stuff, something. But much they more, represent yeah. something. So when we're talking about idols here, and Jesus was, was amazing, right? Because he saw the heart. So the yeah. idols actually live within. It's how we get identity. Yep. It's what forms what we view as our purpose in life. Um, they, they are highlighted often in how we will exercise ways of protection of self or collectively the whole. Right, because it's, it's what will bring peace. And security. That's right. And yep. so, and by the way, leverage like, it. peace and security, uh, those are things that we all want. And That's they're right. actually things that we need, but, but we go about them in such a wrong-footed way. That's right. And as evidence in what we're talking about. And if one were to go all the way back to the beginning, what do we do in the face of trying to meet these core needs of what we do? We see what's delightful and we take it. Correct. Right? So from the beginning, it has always been leveraging. I'm going to meet this need without God. Yeah, I'm going to so, meet it on my own terms. So it's, missed, it, it's desires that are there, but misplaced steps to meet those desires that end in absolute violence and chaos and self-destruction. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, and when we talk about violence, sometimes it is physical violence. Correct. Right? But there are other ways of violence. Yep. What are some of the ways that we experience? I, what are, you, Jesus talks about this, uh, and then his, his little brother James talks about this, what we do with our tongue. Yeah. You know, so you see this um, in the way that we talk about people. Maybe it's in our homes, we talk about other people. Maybe it's on social media, the way that we talk about people, particularly often people who we don't even know. 
Yeah. All right, because it's less personal that way. We don't really ever, we're never going to have to sit down across the table from them and talk to them. <laughs> we, do, we do violence. Yeah, right. So our words turn our words. into swords or bullets that we use to, yep. to aim at other people yep. and wage war against them. Yep. Um, so it's just a nicer version of Our violence. ideologies will do this. Yeah. We see this in, in the converse, national conversation that we have all around us in, in our politics. There's, there's yeah. a conservative ideology that can run amok and do violence against yeah. the other. There's a liberal ideology uh, that steals, kills, and destroys and does violence against yeah. the other, right? When we make the other the enemy, That's a huge it does one violence. Today. Like just, just, there's so much happening in our, in our country right now, right? And we're increasingly, we all feel this, we're increasingly polarized. Yeah. And so when we set people over and against ourselves as the other who are our enemies, and then we'll often pick up on uh, ideological language, so particularly through the lens of politics right now in this moment, um, where we'll say the people of the other political persuasion are the enemy, if we need to stamp them out. Um, like, I, I just gonna be really candid with you guys. Like, I, I saw this really up close and personal in the last church that I served at. Um, we were in Pennsylvania, and so we were close enough. We had some folks um, participate in, in January 6th. Uh, and so there's, we've got a myriad of perspectives on, on that uh, as we sit here this morning. Um, but in talking to some of them, just like, some of them doubling down on it and some of them having like, whoa, I can't believe I'm even here participating in this. And, and so just like these moments are real even today for yeah. us uh, where the idols in our hearts are, are revealed yep. and we have an opportunity to choose life and set them down and choose Jesus um, or choose to continue to hold them closely and, and ultimately choose death. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, because the same stuff resides in us yeah, exactly. that was residing in them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so we can find ourselves right in this story. Yeah. And as Jesus comes as victorious king, mm -hmm. he comes to confront. Yeah. And as he looks at you and me, what does he see? Does he see the ones who make him weep and mm. say, oh, center point. If only you had known what would bring you peace. But your eyes have been closed. Right? That's what our idols do to us, is they blind us, they hold us captive. The very things we try to leverage to give us freedom, to give us significance, yeah. to, to give us power in our lives are the very things that hold us fast. That's what idols do. Yeah. They're slave masters. And Jesus has come that we might be freed. Yeah. And so the very question that was held out before them in the day of his arrival, the amplification of this, the, the, the visions of Messiah, of victory, of peace for all nations, the confrontation, that that which was intended to be a house of prayer for all people had become a place of power and judgment for all people, had failed to live up to its created vocation. What is said of us? What is said of us? Every day we choose life or we choose death. Every day, you choose life or you choose death. You choose that which you think will hold you fast, which only enslaves you. Or will you choose life? Hmm. 
to bow down in worship before the king of all kings, the prince of peace, the stone the builders rejected who has become the cornerstone, who is himself the temple where God resides with his creation, where God settles in, where God is near and invites us, come walk with me even today. Every day you and I have the option to choose life or to choose death. What will you choose? Because be assured, while we wave the palm branches, while we lay the cloaks on the floor, while we shout out, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us. What he says to us is, I am. I am coming to save you. Will you bow down and worship? The temperature is turned up. Boiling over. No longer would they choose to worship. Now they insist on killing him. And my friends, when our eyes are blinded and the temperature is turned up, what will you do? Will you kill him? Will you join with the crowds that turn on a dime and call for his life? Or will you be those who bow down and worship? Let me pray for us. Jesus, come, Lord Jesus. Come, King Jesus, rescue us. We cannot rescue ourselves if only we had known what would bring us peace. But so many of us miss it. So we bow down before you in worship and humble submission and confession of our sin. God, we have sought power apart from you. We have sought significance apart from you. We have sought identity apart from you. And we find ourselves wrapped in the chains of the idols we thought we controlled. Free us by the power of your spirit. Free us. We confess our sin before you. We humbly bow before you in worship. And we walk with you into life today, tomorrow, and forever. In the name of our King Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Stand with me if you would. If you have never made that decision to follow Jesus, to submit yourself to him, today can be your day. Come up here, our prayer team will be up here, say, I'm bowing down, I wanna be his. I want this life. And we'll take it from there, that you might know life in him. There is no other way of life. Let's talk with you about that. You can be confident of that before you leave here today. And if you are marked by his grace, walk through these doors and know that you have been invited into a freedom because the king of kings, the prince of peace, the cornerstone has come and he is victorious. He has overcome sin and death and brought us into freedom and light in his kingdom. May you walk in his light. May you walk in his truth. May you walk in the power of his love alive in you and through you that we together might be a beacon of light where God not only resides, but draws all people from all nations to himself. May that be true for you as you follow him this week. Thanks, everybody. Cannot wait to see you on Friday and then again on Sunday morning. Bye now. Take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. 
Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.